Hello, and welcome to the Theology Gaming Podcast. My name is Zachary Oliver, the owner and proprietor of the Theology Gaming Blog, and with me today are two special guests. One of them is Brandon Zamudo. Hi, guys. We've heard your voice before. <laughs> Many times. <laughs> and we have a genuine Canadian on our show. Hey. Hey there. Hey. It, you probably should mention your name, too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my name's John. And I'm actually in, in America right now, uh, in Arizona, where they're voting tonight. But so. you're not voting because you're Canadian. Well, technically, I'm a dually. <laughs> oh, but both? Can you vote? I'm not a member of the Republican Party, but apparently everyone in Arizona gets to vote. I don't really understand the primary system. So, so wait, are you voting? Uh, no. Oh, okay. That's unfortunate. No. In the, uh, <laughs> in the big election, I might vote in the November election, but... So you're um, a I don't citizen. know if I want my fingerprints on the train wreck that might happen. So <laughs> I don't know. No, everyone's got to take the blame. Um, <laughs> it's true. Well, so, so you're a dual citizen, right? So that means yes. you can vote in your state that you live in. But also, can you vote in Canadian elections too? Yeah, so, yeah. So I, I can vote in Canadian elections, although I didn't in this last one because I had just recently moved. And so... I don't know. They didn't let me vote. Um, which the Canadian electoral system, like, I don't know if you guys, what, what you know about it and stuff, but it's quite a bit different. We have, like, a bunch of parties, and so... Yeah, it's parliamentary. Yes. Um, and I have never voted in an American one before, and I don't really know how that works either. Like, if I send in my vote, what state it goes to, not totally sure. Probably your place of but, residence. <laughs> yeah, my grandma's from Minnesota, so when she votes, I think it goes to Minnesota. Okay. Yeah. All right, well, this is definitely not part of the topic, but thank you for this enlightening look at being a dual citizen. You're, you're welcome. <laughs> All right, so what's your last name, since you didn't mention that either? Yeah, my name's John Rendell. There you go. Although it says John James on your Skype account, which confused me a bit. Yeah, that's fair. It's really confusing. I got an internet persona. Rendell's kind of hard to spell, and so... Ah, okay. Ah. And you get in that tension of, do you put your full name up there? James is my middle name, so... You know when Facebook, you sign up, they ask you to put your middle name, and it's complicated. Okay. All right, all right. So, since you are our newest guest, tell us what you've been playing, if anything. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I've been playing lately super mario world like, for the snes okay um, i actually have a copy on the snes but i downloaded the virtual console version because i don't have my snes copy with me yeah well it works and, this uh, time, so yeah that's true and it's been really good so is this the first time you've ever played it or is this just a nostalgic replay <sighs> yeah so i used to, this was actually the first game i i really ever played um okay and I love it. I mean, it's such a great game. And I just got this huge craving to play. And so I have the original Wii. And so I downloaded it. And then I really wanted to find all 96 exits because I don't know if I ever did that when I was a kid. And so I got, I think, 94 without using a guide. And it was actually ones that I remember finding when I was a kid, but I couldn't remember how to find them again. So I did, I'll confess, use a guide for the last two exits. You know, I think it's okay to use a guide on something that you've played all the way through before 
Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's not like there's a lot of spoilers and stuff in Super Mario World, and so I was just in a ghost house and I couldn't figure out where the secret exit was. So, have you guys played Super Mario World before? Oh yeah, yeah, yes, way too much. <laughs> but I think I'm I more of it's so good. I think I've done every level. Yeah, I yeah. do remember unlocking the special world, the entire thing. I think I'm in. Yeah, <laughs> I don't is- even. I think my save deleted itself at some point though, because eventually the save batteries do die. <laughs> yeah, well, and it's it's funny too. I don't know if you guys have this experience, but you go back and play a game that you played as a kid, and you remember putting you know years of your life into it and now it takes like three or four hours and you've kind of found everything and beat it yeah <laughs> like for me super mario world is that game where i'm like i can't believe how short this game is and how much entertainment we got out of it when we were kids the internet makes everything seem so small yeah i actually think that's probably one of my least played mario games what's your most played uh three you know, that is really, it's like kind of a decision between three or four for me. Or actually, it, anyway, World and World is technically the fourth one, so. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I played a lot of three on the NES when I was a kid, and I still love it. I didn't have a Super Nintendo till later in life, so. Yeah. See, I was, started with World, ooh. and then like years later, somebody showed me three on an NES, and it just didn't wow me the same way, and I, I was just so used to the. I think world looks a lot better and world is really refined. Although super Mario three is, is refined as well. It's, it's a tough call. I, I just never fell in love with three. It's one of those games that it's split in hairs each way. It's pretty much, those are consistently the top two and you're not wrong for liking one over the other. Although the original yeah. still pretty great. <laughs> That's true. I mean, two super Mario bros three, <laughs> it did have the wizard, which is, you know, one of the greatest movies ever made. So, depending on what you mean by greatest, <laughs> if you mean worst, I really want them to make another wizard movie. I think it would be awesome. That's Fred actually going to reveal the NX. He's Fred yeah, Savage in that movie. Is it Fred yeah, Savage? Kid. Oh goodness. Well, he's the middle brother, and then the younger. He's you know he takes the younger brother and oh man I think and they ended up at E3 2016 or something like that for the Nintendo World Championships I mean this this could be a hit film I, I want to see it happen so The Wizard 2 man if they ended up at E3 2016 they better do something big at E3 this year for The Wizard yeah they yeah. better well Super Mario Maker is basically The Wizard that's true yeah. but, but rumor has it Nintendo is going to stop making Wii U so they just stop caring right now yeah that makes me really sad isn't that too bad? I mean, it's, it's I I think that the Wii U, oh man, I think the games were great. Uh, the hardware, maybe not so great. I don't know. What do you guys think? It's the only next gen system I own, and it's mostly because yeah. of the price point. Hmm. But uh, I, well, Bayonetta two came out on it, so I had to buy it by default. It was just yeah, that was part of it. But <laughs> I think it's a great system. It's just nobody wants to buy anything for it. So. I really yeah, like I, Nintendo, but it's so I, hard. Yeah, I don't have the Wii U. I'm interested in buying it, um, and I was, I've always been waiting for like the big price drop that I feel like has never come. And I'm surprised that there wasn't like a you know a 100, 150 dollar price drop when it started doing so poorly. But maybe they had plans for NX a long time ago. Uh, the big price drop is that you can probably buy it from Nintendo directly for about $200, but it's like a refurbished system. 
Yeah, well, and I was just at... Uh, That's what I got it for, anyway. Hmm. Well, they just came out with that line of Nintendo Selects, and Super Mario 3D World was one of them. And yeah, which apparently, I bought for $50. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. And so if they... Nintendo selected, a you know, five to ten more games and, and discounted that thing at 100 200 bucks. I mean, it's a great system. I think there's at least 10 to 15 great games on that system that are worth buying it for. Oh, goodness. Pikmin 3 is a Nintendo Select? That's fantastic. Yes, it is. I want a box copy of it. Well... Uh, they also made Ocarina of Time for the 3DS uh, select. Oh, goodness. And in Super Mario All-Stars, which was out of print for a while. Yes. It, that's a Wii game, but they made it a select anyway. <laughs> I, th I think, like, finally, like, way after, I think Galaxy 2 is finally a select game also. Yeah, they made four Wii games, uh, new Nintendo selects. So I think it was Donkey Kong um, Returns, Animal Crossing City Folk. Um, and then Super Mario Galaxy 2 and Super Mario All-Stars. Yeah. You know what? Super Mario Galaxy 2 was like 30 for the longest time, so I don't think it's really that big of a price drop. <laughs> you yeah. know, but it's nice to see Nintendo actually discount their stuff because their stuff never goes on sale or is cheap. Uh, yeah, man. It's ridiculous. It never does. But, you know, it keeps the the brand the brand value is high. So yes. That's why they can do that. I will just be really upset if the next Zelda game gets pushed from the Wii U even though they keep saying it's not if they push it I will be upset <laughs> well if you remember they did Twilight Princess for GameCube that's the version I played so it's, that's the f it's pretty likely that Twilight Princess is going to be the same case as this new one that's what I think I think they'll probably do a dual like a dual console launch with it yeah I hope but knowing Nintendo at this point and the fact that they lost so much money over the period that the Wii U was out it would seem to me like they're going to use the NX as their new platform to launch everything from mobile games to the console games to everything else, and backwards compatibility and all that stuff's going to be locked away in the dust. So, yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah, it's, it, it's interesting because I think if you own a Wii U right now, you're probably one of the, the more loyal or most loyal Nintendo fans. I just like Bayonetta. And <laughs> it will be interesting to see if Nintendo kind of I don't know, <laughs> trashes the, the most loyal fans by doing something like not releasing the Zelda or I, I could definitely see them coming out with like platinum editions of some of these games like Mario Kart 8 and yeah. Smash 4. What if this and... backwards compatibility with the new system? I'd be all off with that. That'd be fine. Well, the, the rumor is that, that it won't have a disk drive. Oh, I hate this. So I don't know how that's going to work. No. Or... Anyway, this is kind of baseless speculation, so... <laughs> yeah, it's true. Uh, have you been playing anything else? Um, well, so... I'll tell you, I'm kind of on a journey right now of going through a lot of the greats and the history of Nintendo, either ones that I grew up playing or I didn't get a chance to play. So I finished Ocarina of Time about a month and a half ago, started Super Mario World, and so I kind of have a list of what's up next. I'm going to play, I think, Majora's Mask next. The virtual console version, which I'm really excited about. Um, yeah, and just kind of continue to plug away at uh, some of those games. I've got Final Fantasy 3, which is Final Fantasy 6, actually. Never played it before. Never played a Final Fantasy game before. That's where I Whoa. heard I was supposed to start. So uh. I watched my friend play about half of Final Fantasy 8 when I was in junior high. So, yeah. From a person who has played almost every Final Fantasy game in some way. 
I'm not sure if six or three, whatever, is the best one <laughs> to start with. Because it uh, can be complicated. But you know what? It's fine. If you pick four or six, you'll be you'll be set. Doesn't matter which one. Well, I, I played uh, Secret of Mana first, kind of on this Super Nintendo games that I missed. And then I played Chrono Trigger. And I liked Secret of Mana. I really liked Chrono Trigger. And so I don't know if Final Fantasy VI... If I should have played Chrono Trigger a third or or what, but I guess we'll see what happens. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you didn't play them in chronological order, which may taint your view of them. <laughs> yeah. Eh, what are you gonna do? So what about you guys? What are you guys playing lately, yeah. Brandon? What are you playing? I'm still playing Scholar of the First Sin mostly. Okay, so how far are you right now? I just beat the what is it? The Demon of Song the other night. Oh, you know what? You're you're getting there. Yeah, I'm in the undead crypt. I'm getting close to Vendrick and the other boss that's before yeah, him. Trudging. Yeah, it's hard because I wanted. I started thinking I should stop before Dark Souls Three comes out, or else I'm gonna get Dark Souls out, and I don't see that happening. No, you gotta you gotta finish it. You gotta finish it. But I'm really really enjoying it. I said this on uh, Brian Hall's had a post the other day. Like I don't even really care about the lore. Just as a game, it's just fun just go in there and just keep advancing yeah man who, who don't like dark souls <laughs> <laughs> have you guys watched the the ign they've got a guy that's never played dark souls before trying to play through dark souls one i saw it's one second of, like of that it. he didn't seem very good no he's, he's getting rocked yeah the, the problem with the game is that it has like a completely different learning curve than every other game in its <laughs> similar genres <laughs> But it's so fun, like, watching, like, that natural experience of people playing it because it is one of those games, like people have said, it's different. Everyone's going to play it different. You're going to approach situations different. It's, like, interesting to see how people approach your situation. You're like, oh, you can do that? Yeah. Or, like... Technically, ranged combat is super OP. Yeah, like, mages and everything. that You can just sit there and just wreck stuff the whole yeah. time. But I don't do that. I no. play sword shield big heavy great shield and i just trudge around and play the game the way it's meant to be played which yep. is a melee <laughs> that's me because I, I asked the question the other day and about armor so i just decided to go and get havel's armor so now i'm just rolling around as havel <laughs> yeah big fatty rolls <laughs> yeah actually i'm not even fat rolling i think i'm still mid the slow roll so oh man goodness yeah, yeah i got my endurance up and i got the ring of uh was it the soldier's ring on yeah boosting up my good. stuff good stuff uh, what else am I? I got some Fire Emblem in there on the side too for a little bit lighter stuff. Uh, which one? Because there's like a hundred of them and they all uh, have different. Birthright. Okay. <laughs> I'm playing Birthright right now. I've never played one, so since this one's supposedly easy, I'm playing that one. But I'm still hmm. playing with Permadeath on. Oh, yeah. And uh, I, that makes things at least a little stressful. The first time I saw someone's HP get to zero, I kind of felt like this turning into my stomach like oh no i just let someone die but it was a main character so they get to stay around <laughs> so yeah it's you get attached to people but when i played radiant dawn i i felt like i was keeping too many people alive because the experience was getting spread out too much so you know you're gonna have to like let someone go right <laughs> but it's yeah it's that tension of like oh am i gonna need that person later or you know can you grind in these games because i know certain fire emblem games uh -huh. you can grind so that Everybody does get an even level, but it's it's 
oh, like takes forever. And in, in Birthright, you can get like side missions before going to the main missions. Like I think you have to like find them and they pop up on the map. So you can sit there and just do the side stuff and get levels for your people, which is what I've been doing. But I don't know if I need to because people say that Birthright, you can just fly right through. Like it's so easy. But I really enjoy it because I really like the artwork of it. I think it's a really pretty looking game. And it looks like anime, and I like anime. <laughs> and it's also weird, because Nintendo games don't usually look like that. That's true. And Nintendo totally backs it, but then they had that whole controversy with like the way that they edited stuff over here and you know, all like, that. Who cares? Yeah. <laughs> does, it, does it really matter in the long run? Well, I'm kind of upset if I get a Fire Emblem game and I can't do the face-petting minigames, and so I, I care. Yeah. Oh, it's super <laughs> important. I, yeah, yeah, you can kind of tell that they left that in the game because when you're having a cutscene with someone and it shows, you can move the camera around and like look over them. Like, I'm like, I think this was probably the petting game where you could touch your partner and stuff. Like, face. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just wait till they put that in VR. It's a really Japanese thing. Like, if that was in Hyperdimension Neptunia, nobody would bat an eyelid. But because it's in Fire Emblem, it's like, oh no. I'm still slightly interested to play those games. Uh, okay. depends on your level of fan service mm. um, tolerance. <laughs> That's the right word. But it's actually not, you know, hybrid, I'm going to say Harvard Dimension Neptune is actually okay. It's a decent RPG. Yeah. You just have to like the visual novel stuff. Yeah. All right. I, got, I got about 10 hours in before I lost interest a little bit. Alright, you like kind of like strategy type RPGs like Final Fantasy Tactics and everything, right? Yeah, well, Tactics is kind of broken, but... <laughs> okay, have you ever played the record of Agarest War, whatever those games are? Uh, yes, that was what uh, Compile Heart was making before they made Hyperdimension Neptunia Forever. I heard that those games can be kind of weird, too, obviously because Japan and anime and... Yeah, well, you have to pick a woman to marry, and then she has to have your child, and then the next generation child becomes your main character. Well... And wasn't that the game that it, shipped with the... It's a dating the, simulator in a strategy game. Because was that the one that shipped with the mouse pad with the... Like, the breast shaped for your wrist to go on? It was like a Japanese girl. And then I think one of them shipped with like a one of the pillows. Like the anime girl pillows <laughs> that they have and everything. This does not sound unlike Japan. That's why <laughs> I don't know <laughs> what game it is. See how hard this is? Yeah. Identify? Goodness. Um, yeah, you got to feel for the Nintendo localization people, right? I mean, they got a hard yeah. job to do. Yeah, well, it's yeah, it's just different cultural standards for these sorts of things. Yeah, and sometimes I mean, it's like weird, you know, like oh, he takes a potion and it makes her like girls or makes her like guys, you know. It's, yeah, for us, it's not a thing that works. Well, and they also just yeah. released that tank simulator dating game on Steam a couple weeks ago, which is really weird. Is this like the pigeon thing, except it, with tanks? Kind of, where someone goes to school, and it's like a World War II school about tanks, but the tanks are actually Japanese schoolgirls, and they make all ton <laughs> all sorts of uh, like tank sexual innuendos, and it's really, <laughs> really weird. I thought of one in my so head, and I'm not going to recite it out loud. <laughs> is, is it like man tanks dating female tanks? Or well, there's is like, it like no, like I think it like it's actual. I think it's an actual guy and the girls are named like there's like tiger and like you know m52 or whatever and it's it looked interesting like i would probably date it or not date it uh play Pan it just to laugh at it <laughs> panzer medels tank dating simulator there you go 
how is this a thing? Well, um, how is pigeon dating a thing? Oh, I thought they were actually tanks. No, they're they may be, but they may be just disguised as Japanese schoolgirls. <laughs> I don't know. Did you guys watch the? Uh, this is a little off topic, but the his. I'm sorry, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, but the Hiyo Mizaki. I forget. You, you, the guy, Studio Ghibli guy. Yeah, Hiyo yeah. Miyazaki. Yeah. Did you guys watch the documentary? Is no, it, I did not. What What was it on? There's a great one. It's, out, it's on Netflix. It's about two or three years ago, and it's just kind of examining his life. And uh, one of their latest movies, which was about World War II planes, and I, I haven't seen the movie because I don't the think wind it's been rises. English yet. Maybe that's it. But anyways, he makes a point in the movie that um, you know there used to be a lot of censorship coming from the Japanese government, <clears throat> but now a lot of the corporate company, you know, these companies are are self-censoring. And it's this interesting discussion that they have, and it's all in Japanese and it's subtitled and everything like that. But I wonder what that means for the world of, of video games, especially as they're looking to market on a global scale, if uh, they're going to lose part of their Japanese culture by having to really self-censor before the product even gets made in the first place. You know, I think that's a lot of the reason why I like playing weird Japanese games, because the more niche you get, the more unique it is, at least from my mm. cultural experience. And those games mm -hmm. tend to make me the most uncomfortable, which is what I like. <laughs> well, has that, have any of you seen Pom Poco, the Studio Ghibli movie? Mm, nope. I have not seen it, but I know about it because I think my wife's seen it. But I had to try to explain, I was explaining it to a guy, my boss at work, actually. And it's about Tanukis. And I guess this is part of Tanuki lore. But it has something about them and like very prominent testicles. Yeah, that's gigantic. <laughs> yeah, and they actually put this in like the Studio Ghibli film because it it's part you know it's okay over there and but it's part of it. <laughs> and I had to try to explain this. I'm like, yeah, it's about raccoons slash tanukis and their giant inflating testicles. And like, and this is a cartoon. <laughs> and Disney now kind of helps own it or at least distributes like ghibli stuff over here so we got that yeah they're like giant um raccoon they're raccoon dogs tanukis yeah. are raccoon dogs and they give blessings to people or something I, it's been a while since i've read about shintoism so bear with me <laughs> my japanese folklore yeah. which i'm kind of trying to forget how i we got onto the topic of inflating testicles at work but <laughs> I, I really, I really. That's the thing that just comes up, you know. It's it's. Yeah. You and your boss must have a close relationship. Yeah, I think it had to deal with a C two E two going on this past weekend, and uh, someone sent me a cosplay. And do you guys watch South Park at all? Uh, no. Uh, occasionally, depends. Well, there was like one where like Randy, I think it was like a medicinal marijuana one, and he needed to get medicinal marijuana, and some he had did something to his genitalia and someone cosplayed as that at C2E2. <laughs> and I'm surprised that they actually let someone go around like that the whole time, especially because there's probably the kids there and everything, but <laughs> yeah, it, it's not my convention to run, so. Uh, well, the joys of conventions and unusual dress. Yes. <laughs> so, Zach, what are you playing? Uh, Final Fantasy 13. A lot. A How's lot. that going? Uh, I played it when it came out, like, five years? Six years ago? Six years ago now. Has it been that long? came out in March of 2010, and I remember this because that's the year I played Bayonetta. Look, everything <laughs> relates back to Bayonetta. There you go. <laughs> There's always a lighthouse. Uh, 
So I played it the first time and I was like, eh, you know, I, I like the battle system. I think the battle system's great. It's way overcomplicated, but makes me happy. Uh, and but the English voice acting is just very uh, in the middle. It's is got it? Troy Baker. Uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's because Hope. Hope is in the game. He's the worst character. Yes. Out of all the characters. You know, it's always hard to have kids in these kinds of stories and stuff, but it just does not work. But now I'm playing it on Steam with Japanese voice language, and I'm enjoying myself <laughs> a lot more. Is it uh, is it better than three slash six? Give it to me straight. Nobody on Earth would probably make that claim. <laughs> because Final Fantasy 13 is a very different kind of game. The thing you need to know about Final Fantasy is that Every single game is very different. Like, mm. they're sequels only in the sense that they share branding and some series tropes, like either random battles or RPG or story, right? But they mostly take place in entirely different universes with new metaphysics and new people and all that sort of thing. Other than the direct sequels and weird offshoot stuff. Well, because, mm -hmm. uh, was it 12 and Tactics take place in the same world, I think? Yeah, they do at different time periods, but they have mm. completely different art styles, so you mm. wouldn't even know. <laughs> well, have you seen the theory about like ten taking place in like the seven universe? Because I think there's that one Shinra character. Yeah, yeah there's a whole thing about it that actually one of the people on there I think goes on to create Shinra. That would be something like that. incredibly cool. But <laughs> but I think it's it's a fan theory. So yeah, to not get too far off topic though. 13 was very controversial when it was released, and it remains kind of weird for most people to this day, even though it got mm. high critical ratings. But it's to describe it as more like a really streamlined approach to JRPGs. Because literally, you run through hallways, very pretty hallways, I might add, and you get into elaborate fights. That's pretty much the game. And then interspersed there are lots of cutscenes. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> And are you looking forward to 15? I am looking forward to 15. I just have to have a console that can actually play it. <laughs> because I don't have yeah. a PS4 or an Xbox One. <laughs> but if it comes out on PC, then I won't need to buy one. And do they have plans to release it on PC right now? Or is it just a PS4 exclusive or uh, PS4 and Xbox? In typical Square Enix fashion, there have been no announcements, but they go, we're considering a PC version, which is what they say about everything. Well, there's also okay. the rumor going around that they're since they're like getting a better relationship with Nintendo that they might be releasing stuff on the NX too. When it yeah, comes I've out. heard that. I heard Dragon Quest Eleven. There's a build I, of it running on NX. I th I've heard like possibly seven and fifteen were being tossed around Ooh. too, at some point. Yeah, this is why I'm waiting because I have no idea what's going to happen this <laughs> fall. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll know more about Final Fantasy 15 coming up here. I think it's the 30th they're having their press conference event where they're announcing the release date and everything. Yeah, something like that. I heard end of September. That's that's my that's, general idea. That's the rumor I saw, too. But rumors are rumors. But Maybe, maybe it'll never come out. <laughs> maybe. It is. It, it could be the Chinese Democracy Guns N' Roses album of video games. Yeah, it's been in development for a decade <laughs> already, so. Yeah. It does look <laughs> it does there. look good though. I will say that. Yeah. It looks like um it's not Kingdom Hearts, which is everything I want. No. It looks like Final Fantasy Solid. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, it has stealth stuff and open world action RPG. It's like, is this really Final Fantasy? I don't know. I, I like that they're bringing back the open world stuff because I know a lot of people didn't like that about 13, that of how linear. Yeah, which which they kind of fixed as they made the sequels. Like the, the second one's a little more open. It's mm-hmm. kind of like got a Chrono Trigger thing going on with time periods. And then the mm. third game is completely open world. And hack and slashy. <laughs> yeah, which is, yeah, it gets weird. But they've I've, been making weird games in Final Fantasy series recently, like a lot of weird ones. <laughs> Do you think that yeah, thirteen really de- like deserved the th- two sequels? Uh, yes, <laughs> but that's just my opinion. Hmm. Did you feel did like you guys that? See anything before? about? Oh, oh, sorry, oh go ahead. sorry. Oh, John, what are you saying? I was just gonna say, did you guys see anything about Final Fantasy Explorers on the 3DS? They kind of made a Final Fantasy, basically a Monster Hunter game. Yeah, my wife has it. I she likes it. Mix things about it. I'm not sure. Whether or not you need a group of friends to do it. <laughs> uh, my wife yeah. does a lot of soloing in that. so She likes it? Yeah, she likes it. I mean, it's very kind of MMO-ish where you just get these, like, fetch and kill quests and just, like, keep leveling up your characters and, like, yeah. do, get new stuff like that. But she tends to enjoy it, and I think she's played with her brother a couple times on there. Like, it seems to me that they're, they're taking the brand and maybe looking at branching out so they have things like 15 but then they also have stuff that's uh really playing on the nostalgia about the old games and a little bit more cutesy and yeah and then they get stuff like type zero which is like whoa this is weird (laughs) yeah good game though good way out there when i played yeah it's more like an action combat game than it is final fantasy and it's rated m for mature yeah, like in the first five minutes, they show a chocobo getting executed. You're like, whoa, this is a different game. Yeah, people get chopped up. <laughs> well, what is it? Uh, they got, is it Final Fantasy Worlds? Is like that game, that, that chibi looking game that might be coming out on PS4 at some point, too. It has a, Yeah, which looks interesting. It has a really generic name, right? It's World of Final Fantasy. Or something like that. And it's going to be like bringing a lot, a lot of people together. They've always like kind of done that though, because they had uh, Dissidia. Yeah. They had uh, the Crystal Chronicles games. Uh, Four Warriors of Light, which is super weird. <laughs> yeah. Oh well, basically that game is what turned into Bravely Default. Hmm. And then it, turned into Bravely Default too. So. Did not which, know that. Which uh, apparently is an incredible game. I haven't played Bravely Default, but everything I've heard about it has been positive. If you like Japanese role-playing games, that's in your wheelhouse, for sure. It's like Final Fantasy V, the next generation. <laughs> I've heard that's probably the best Final Fantasy game that's been released in the last, like, five to ten years. Which one? Bravely Default? Yeah. I've I heard that's... I have played it personally, but I know people have, and they liked it. There was a couple games like that. I think people have said that about Bravely Default and... Uh, Lost Odyssey, since it was done by the guy who did 10, I think it was. Yeah, Lost Odyssey is really, really solid. But unfortunately, no one seems to own a 360 who would actually play it. So I have it. I started it. Yeah, it's good. It's good. It's real good. It's like Final Fantasy X for adults. There you yeah, go. I haven't made the, the jump to 3DS yet. But when I, I do, there's, there's a good four or five RPGs that I'd be interested in. The 3DS has a really stellar lineup. The only problem is I hate playing stuff on portable systems. <laughs> it's unfortunate. Yeah, and I'm at the point where I'm like, okay, well, the 2DS kind of interests me because I just want to play these games. I don't really care about the 3D effects. Then you're like, well, yeah, it's like might as well pay a little bit more. And then it's like, 
is a new Nintendo handheld right around the corner? And I don't yeah. know. So I always I'm have waiting. the decision. It's like, do I want to look at my giant computer screen or do I want to play with iStrain? So yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I never use the 3D on my 3DS. Because like hardly at all. Well, actually, the new 3DS is actually really good though. The 3D actually doesn't hurt because they improved it a lot on the the new 3DS. Hmm. That's and what I, I think it it actually like tracks because with the original you had to have it in a certain spot to actually have the 3d look good but this one like kind of you can move it around and the 3d still looks really good oh that's neat yeah it's eye tracking or something like that yeah it's, it's yeah their tech is weird <laughs> i'd say it, it's a good system to own i don't play it nearly as much as i probably should because i'm kind of like zach if i'm going to play a game i usually want to play on my tv or screen yeah, I think that's always my problem with this stuff. It's like yeah, I mean, I'm, wa I'm waiting for the the dip when a new handheld comes out. Although I noticed with the DS, a lot of those games never really went down in price. Like if you still want to get Chrono Trigger on the DS, you're still paying you know 25 bucks or yeah. whatever. By yeah. Virtual Console, it's eight dollars. So that's true. I think I own Chrono Trigger twice. I think DS and PlayStation. Chrono Trigger is in a weird situation because the re-release didn't sell well, which is, like, really sad. Yeah. Like, you're never going to see yeah. another one because Chrono Cross was just this thing. <laughs> yeah. But. Maybe once they're done Final Fantasy VII HD, though, you know, Chrono Trigger HD, well, like a new reimagined Chrono Trigger, I would play that game. They also have that... Oh, what's that game coming out? I, I don't even know the name that they've just shown that looks like a like a spiritual successor to Chrono Trigger. Uh, my name is Setsuna. Yeah, something like that. And they just showed it, and people are getting excited about that. Yeah, it looked really interesting, actually. Yeah, is it my name? Cause I, oh, I can't they remember. just showed like the first like little video of it, like, I think last week or something. Watch, I'm going to Google it. Here we go. <laughs> I am Setsuna. There we go. And it's made by Tokyo RPG Factory. Huh, a little on the nose. Oh, I think Only I need PS4. To... Only on PS4. I need to probably finish Chrono Trigger at some point because everyone just keeps talking about how great it is. I just don't know if it can live up to that expectation if uh, everyone keeps talking it up. I'm one of the rare detractors of Chrono Trigger, so I get a 4 out of 5 um, on Theology Gaming. So if you want to look at that review, maybe you'll find something huh. that you agree with. <laughs> <laughs> I I played it recently. I got sick, and so I played the whole thing in three days, and it took oh, me I think twenty four hours in total. So I was playing it. I played it about eight hours a day. Um, you know, it's I had mixed feelings about it at the beginning. I loved it, and then it just felt like it was too long, and it was kind of dragging on. You just wanted to get through it, but then at the end, it kind of got great again. I think. It's incredible how much attention to detail and how many things are, are packed into this Super Nintendo game um, and how many cool things you can do for that time period. And it's also very streamlined. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, the Super Nintendo is kind of like where they hit. A stride was hit, a perfection of that type of gaming, at least at that time. And Chrono Trigger was at the very end of it. And so it really is a great game. And I, I think it is worth playing through. Um, but in 2016, it might not be as amazing as it was in, in 1995. My problem is I start it 
and then I'll end up putting it down for a long time, and I'll go back forgetting what I'm supposed to do and everything that pretty totally. much led up to it, and then have to start all over. Yeah. Well, you won't have that problem with Final Fantasy 13 because they give you a giant plot synopsis every time you load the game up. <laughs> 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 and then you run down the hallway. <laughs> the yeah. linear hallway. <laughs> you run down the hallway, there's enemies. Yeah. Here you are. You fight them, you go, cutscene, you fight more enemies. <laughs> so, so uh, uh, before... We get way, way off topic and run out of time. We got to get to the main topic. <laughs> yeah. With the one you brought up, John Rendall. Do you, you guys want me to start? Yeah, sure. Okay. So, uh, you know, I thought with the recent announcement about PlayStation VR and a price point and kind of a timeline of when it's going to be coming out, uh, a lot of reviews coming out from the media about people trying it. It'd be interesting to talk about virtual reality and some of the implications of virtual reality. And so the first thing that I wanted to talk about was, um, you know, we all love video games and, and really have great experiences with them. But I think everyone knows that video games can become sometimes a crutch or a drug that uh, is used as a form of escapism. And I'm really wondering, as we move towards virtual reality and this total immersion experience, um, what that's going to do for people using video games as escapism. So that's kind of the first question that I wanted to ask about virtual reality. So I thought we'd talk about that for a little bit, see where it goes, and then if you guys want another one, I can... Okay, so the, the time we're in right now kind of reminds me of virtual reality back in the mid-1990s, let's say, right? It was kind of all the rage, and people were announcing it, and it's like, look, virtual reality. The technology wasn't there yet, obviously, but mm -hmm. people were trying virtual technology, and even the virtual boy was kind of VR-ish, if you want to get that far. Mm -hmm. But it never really caught on with people. And mm -hmm. a lot of it didn't come down necessarily to the tech which was equivalent to stuff at the time it was just that it kind of lacked this accessibility to it mm -hmm. and or if you want to think of it specifically in video game circles it kind of lacks any games attached to mm -hmm. it <laughs> like can you name a game that's going to be in virtual reality exclusively on some yeah, kind of I mean, VR headset that I want to play right now I think um, I can't think of anything that's exclusive the ones that have some hype for the PSVR or games like, I think, EVE Online um, and Ace Combat 2. Some shooter games like cockpit type games that apparently will work really well with VR. I would agree with you to a point though. I think some of the hype about VR, you know, it, I'm very skeptical and I'm wondering like, let's say that this is the second increment of VR that I'm, I'm leaning more towards the third time will be the charm, you know, third time's a charm with VR. And the first one was, you know, the technology was really clunky. The games weren't there. I think you're right too with the second time coming around, the games need to be there. So the technology is there and it's smaller and it's possible, but I would totally agree with you that are people really going to prefer to play that way? Even with the Wii, it introduced a new way to play, but is that people's preferred way to play? I think for most people it really wasn't. It was like a fun thing to kind of play around with and show your friends, but then you put it back in the closet. And so I don't know if VR this time around will be like that. Is it going to be a game changer? I don't know. Uh, Brandon, what do you think? 
I, th I still think it's too early to tell, but I, that possibility is still there for people to overindulge and put themselves in positions that, you know, quite frankly, we see in like, you know, cartoons and movies and stuff like that. People didn't think was actually possible, but it actually has a real possibility of happening of people just being so immersed in liking something more than the real world, whether that be from outside influences of they don't feel comfortable with who they are or their positions in the world. And they can find a place that they feel more at home with and it will feel more real to them now being totally immersed in it or just people looking for something different and just getting addicted to it. Mm hmm. So is that any different from like an MMO though? Like I know a lot of people like get into MMOs and then they just play them incessantly. Right. Yeah. But is it like, will VR kind of change this in any way? I don't know. I don't know if it'll change it because I think escapism has been something that's probably it's been around since the dawn of time. People have always been finding something to escape into, you know, mm -hmm. whether it be literature, movies, video games, you know, there's always some form of escapism that people can find something in or think that they find their release or whatever have you in it. Yeah, and I think another question, you know, no one knows it's going to take time before we figure out some of these things, but what will the effects uh, of playing VR for a long extended period of time be on people? I mean, will there be eye strain? Um, I definitely think if, if a person's got to stand up with the headset on and have the two PlayStation Move controllers in their hands, they're not going to be able to play as long as they would if they were sitting at a keyboard or, or sitting on a couch, right? They're going to get tired. Yeah. Or you're going to have people that are probably going to get motion sickness. You know, like how real is this going to make people feel for like emotions and everything like that too? Like who's going to make the first survival horror virtual reality game and what's that going to do to people? <laughs> well, that that was one of the things that was a paranormal activity kind of game um, for the VR. And like, I, I don't know if I want to experience that. Mm. Actually, no, I, I know I don't want to experience that. <laughs> I don't know if you guys would. Um, but man, that's that's gonna get crazy. Yeah, I that I have no interest in that. But I, I people literally like are frightened out of their mind by that kind of thing. Um, I don't know if I if I heard this on a previous theology gaming podcast or where, but there's also like good possibilities for it too. Like you could have lots of learning things or experience things. Like you know, someone could take something from the Bible and translate it to a visual thing to where you could actually feel like you're there. You know, they could take a reading of like Jesus, you know, sermoning on the mount and, you mm -hmm. know, put you in there in like ancient times in Israel and you could kind of get the feel and maybe see something more active or like even the passion. Like it's one thing like seeing it, you know, in the movie, The Passion of the Christ, like seeing it played out that brought up certain emotions. But what if they actually put you in that position on the streets as like Jesus is going across, carrying the cross, getting spit on and, you know, beat and everything like that. Mm. Yeah, that would be mind blowing. A vicarious experience. I mean, you got to think that they'll, they'll probably make some games where you're doing open heart surgery as well, or you got to defuse the bomb kind of games. But there even would be practical applications of 
in virtual reality, you might be able to pull up your car and look under the hood and it will light up the, you know, things that you need to fix mm. and stuff like that. So you practice it in virtual reality and then you go do it in real life. So that there could be some amazing applications. Mm. I mean, could you think of playing some of the games that we've all like talked about over the past couple of years for like story and like what they've done to make us feel like if you actually played like the last of us and they actually put you in Joel's position to do that. Yeah. I mean, I, I even think for you guys, like would you be, in, if a dark souls virtual reality experience comes out, would you guys be interested in that? Or would that be terrifying? You know, like if you actually have to swing the, the sword and hold the shield and you're looking around and stuff's coming at you from every angle. I mean, I'd be terrified. I'm not sure how, <laughs> how much I want something that realistic. Like, <laughs> does realism make a game better? I, I think we could say not necessarily. I don't think so because games are supposed to be unrealistic and to, to be like that kind of fun thing to bring you out of. You know, they're supposed to be fun. That's the core part of games. Yeah. Oh, there are more serious games, but for yeah, the most part, yeah. For the most part, they're supposed to be fun and they're not supposed to be like real life because if you want to do stuff in real life, why don't you just do it? <laughs> you know? Yeah, but, I mean, can't really shoot zombies and stuff like that in real life, but I get what you're saying. I mean, there's still some things to be fun, like, you know, like Guitar Hero. Obviously, not any of us are going to sit there and be like Eddie Van Halen or something, not have the time. And it's fun to do that. Or it's fun to play sports games like golf or baseball because it's just fun things. But if you're going to want to do something, if you want like a realistic experience of doing something, we also have the ability to go out and try to do that in real life. Like if we're sitting there for something to be like so realistic, we can either watch it or actually try to do it. Yeah. I mean, I, I think one of the things that will maybe change the face of gaming if VR were to really take off is the fact that VR, I think, is harder to control as a player um, because, you know, you may, might not have a third-person camera that you can swing around and everything like that. You Like, you've got to turn and look. And so I think for a lot of people, it might give them a feeling of more suspense and more being out of control. And I think for some gamers, that will appeal to them. For others... Like, you know, I've been going back and playing a lot of retro games. In those games, it feels like you have way more control and, and there's less factors. That appeals to me at this point in my life. And so I don't know if VR gaming would appeal to me as much. Do you think that you could get emotional trauma from VR gaming? Probably. Um, yeah, I mean, I think like... Not unlikely. Especially, especially the younger that you are, I mean... I think you think about when kids watch even a Disney movie and they're five or six years old and the villain comes on or something like that. I mean, they get scared. Mm. And I think were you to be totally submerged in virtual reality, I mean, we know that video games can affect people emotionally and mentally, even if it's just a little bit, but they can cause us anxiety. I mean, if you guys have ever played StarCraft, <laughs> like, that game can cause you a lot of anxiety when somebody's breaking into your base and you're trying to get control of it and all that kind of stuff. So one of these reviews I was reading was about a woman playing this game called Job Simulator, which doesn't sound like a whole lot of fun. But she talked about how she almost fell through this, fell on her face because she was in the room and and in the VR game, she saw a table in front of her and she went to put this cup down on the table and obviously never felt anything and so started to fall forward. 
Um, I think it will play tricks on our minds. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think definitely emotionally it could play tricks on us as well. Like there could there be the possibility of like people getting like PTSD if they play something like so traumatic or like <laughs> what they witness in there. Like because it's one thing seeing something on a screen and seeing everything else around you in real life. But if it's surrounding your actually actual vision and you feel like you're there. Yeah, it gets a little uh, scary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, you got to think, too, if they'll experiment on people by having them play it for so long that they might, you know, forget that they are. Like, if if you were to play VR for days, um, you know, would you forget that it is VR? I mean, if they can make it look that real and all those kind of things. It's a lot of those questions. I guess that would lead into my second question, which is... Um, Will VR become so real? Uh, I, I mean, I think the goal is that it will become so real that we won't be able to tell the difference between VR and actual reality. And then it'll be the um, Matrix. Yeah, I was. <laughs> I, I have the book up here by. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce his name. Um, I'm Canadian, but I'm not French Canadian. Anyways, <laughs> Simulacra and Simulation. It's that book that Neo pulls out of the wall in the Matrix uh, just before he follows the White Rabbit. And it's this idea that we create these simulations that are so real that they might become the actual reality in a lot of people's lives, which is kind of the premise of the Matrix. They're yeah. in this Jean Baudrillard is an interesting philosopher to read. Uh, I've, I've read enough of the book to say that the idea is more about like um, the real. There are there is no real meaning behind things because the things are symbols now. So, like, um, he writes a lot about, like, pornography, just for example, right? It's no longer the the physical act in and of itself of, like, you know, sexual relations, intercourse and stuff. It's more about, like, pornography is like a symbolic version. And to us, the simulation is more real than the real thing. Do you kind of get what I mean? <laughs> yeah, no, I would, and I, I, I think that yeah, And we're transitioning apply... to where symbols are more important than reality. Yeah. And I, I think if VR could become this totally immersive experience and, and very realistic, would VR and, and people's VR lives become more important than their real lives? So I think in the same way that someone might be, you know, a celebrity on YouTube or whatever, and they think of themselves primarily as a YouTube celebrity and they start documenting everything on their lives. So it's like, is this person a YouTube character, like a reality star, or do they have a real life? And I wonder if VR could become that for a lot of people where you get this incredible VR experience and it becomes what your life is really about, what has meaning in your life, and, and the rest of your life is kind of just, you know, eating and sleeping and, and keeping yourself alive so you can <laughs> be in VR, right? So I, I don't know. I mean, it just brings up a lot about what has, what does have meaning in our culture. I think years ago, people would have said random YouTube celebrity videos about what people had for breakfast and where they go for vacation and all that kind of stuff would never pass as entertainment. It would never be meaningful to our culture. But, yeah, but here we are. It's, it's an explosion, right, of, of what um, our culture values and what is real. And it's, it's very bizarre. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if this really leads into any kind of question or certain discussion topic or if these are just thoughts. 
Oh, the Bible so I don't know what you got. What do you about this? So, <laughs> yeah. which is the idea of virtual reality being more real than the real world. So philosophically, it's an interesting concept, though I'm yeah, not sure it, how far it goes. Like, yeah. The, yeah well, it's, the Matrix is kind of our best example here, right? It's a science fiction yeah. movie, so yeah. in some sense, it's meant to be more of a message to people here, right? Because all of our fiction somehow revolves around whatever we're thinking about at the time, right? And so at that time, 1999 or so, it was kind of timely. The mm. idea of virtual reality and this sort of thing. But I think in our, in this case, at least in the VR stuff that's all coming out this year, it's going to be more of a practical thing because what usually happens is that we have the heightened concept of it first and then it gets rolled back and rolled back and rolled back and all that sort of thing until we end up basically mm -hmm. with VR is basically a replacement for television <laughs> yeah I mean I guess maybe the talking point might be that, that that VR goes along with our culture's love and maybe obsession of postmodernism so we define our own reality we create our own reality we define what has meaning as opposed to Jesus saying that that he is the truth and really laying the grounds for objective truth, standing kind of in, in opposition to postmodernism, at least postmodernism when you when you're talking about um, universal truths. So I, I think that virtual reality goes well with people wanting their own reality, wanting to create their own meaning as opposed to searching for some sort of objective truth in life. Well, it could be, but it could also be that it's just like when you start your next MMO in first person or it becomes just kind of an alternate form of entertainment. I mean, we could say we're in virtual reality right now. I mean, you're in an era where I can just talk to anybody from around the world at a moment's notice with no delays whatsoever. Like the means of yeah. communication have like changed, but not in such a fundamental way that you're like talking to imaginary people. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. I talked to lots of people on the internet as, as we are doing right now. <laughs> well, I think it even goes even past virtual reality for where we're going as a human, as the human race. Uh, Christianity today did an article a couple days ago about like, like transhumanism and everything and where like what people are thinking and like the ideas of people backing up like thoughts and memories and stuff on a cloud type service or what they can do for like health reasons and like even on like the first page of the article it talks about genome editing which brings to mind Metal Gear Solid and everything like that just like what they're trying to do and for people and that's actually kind of a scary thought if you think about where people want to take technology at some point and whether we're how much is actually benefiting us instead of like you know as a race and what should we be doing and looking out against hmm. I think uh, it had something from Stephen Hawking too he said something uh, let me see if I can find the quote here so I don't know if I'm going to be able to find it real right now but he talked because they you know Stephen Hawking's benefited a lot from like all this uh, technology you know he's benefited a lot from it but he, I think he even said that we need to keep things in check to make sure that we don't let like the machines do like all these things for us that we should be doing 
like there is that that threat that we can like hurt ourselves by trying to advance too much in the way that we're going mm-hmm. pretty much they I think they uh, someone said someone like it's uh, if we are digitally constructing a modern day tower of Babel for like what we're doing there are limits mm. to technology is mm. kind of what I'm getting from this yeah limits yep. and we should be careful with where we want to take them that actually leads really well into my my final kind of question on VR but is VR a symbol right now of, of us as consumers you know with this insatiable desire I guess this is a great question like as gamers because we've seen video games really evolve over the years but do we have this insatiable desire for um, something new, something different, something better that just seems to be going faster and faster and faster and never seems to be enough? So for an example, I think, you know, I, I think back to when I first played the N64 and the game was in 3D and all this kind of stuff and people were playing it and, and you know, they're just wow, wide eyed playing Mario 64 and all that kind of stuff. And it's like something new always comes out and we're never, it's never enough, you know? And I wonder if VR is just the next step of it's happening even faster and we'll get tired and bored of VR even faster than we have with previous consoles. What are you guys' thoughts on this? I don't think we'll get bored of it. I think if there's nothing that comes out with it that's actually decent, (laughs) we'll probably get bored of it. But if there mm. ends up being multifarious uses for it, because I think Oculus Rift is Facebook, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Like, it feels as if there's going to be some kind of interconnected uh, use for the Oculus Rift that goes beyond just pure gaming entertainment context. I don't know what those are yet, and nobody seems to know what those are yet, so mm-hmm. I don't know. Like. Are you guys early adopters that always need to have the new thing, or or how do you feel about that? I'm usually too poor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've learned in recent years that I buy the games that I want really badly on release date, and then everything else yeah. can kind of just whatever. <laughs> well, mm-hmm. I think for systems, uh, 360 kind of brought everybody's attention, and maybe you shouldn't be the first person to buy a 360. Yeah, uh, considering repair issues and red rings of death yeah. and such and such. I usually wait just like the, the the craziness that goes around it and everyone out there and the money it costs, people buying them, selling them for a ridiculous amount of money. I usually just wait until a little bit's died down and then whenever I have the money, I'll go out and buy one. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I don't well, see myself getting VR. I mean, I bought a Wii U like... July of 2014, so... Two years. Almost two years, yeah. Mm. So I was behind the curve on that one. I'm still waiting to buy a Wii U, so if... You were super... I hope there's still some left. I might want to hustle, but... Yeah. Yeah. Apparently they're already running out in Japan and other places, but I don't know if that's... That was fast. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Speaking of which... PS4K or 4.5, do you guys think that's really happening? And do you think that's a good move for Sony? Or, like, are we going to have constant console updates happening in the coming years? They're going to be the new Nintendo. Yeah. 
by release. I think it might be a thing. It wouldn't surprise me with the VR coming out if they're going to create a slightly more powerful one to kind of help it, even though it can run on the PlayStation 4. But it wouldn't surprise me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just think... Uh, I don't know if the PS4, the potential of the system has been fully tapped into yet, so it's surprising that they're moving on from from something so quickly, uh, especially because the, the last generation had such a long console life. But I, I do think that they'll have a way of figuring it out so that it doesn't kind of alienate or upset people who already have a PS4. Yeah, I think part of the reason why it's going to exist is because the PS4 doesn't support 4K resolutions just like normal Blu-ray players that are coming mm -hmm. out do. And especially because mm -hmm. Ultra Blu-ray is a thing now. <laughs> well, yeah, just... it gets more complicated. It streams stuff in 4K, doesn't it? Like videos and stuff, but it won't project gaming in 4K, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. So mm. that's why they're doing it for the most part. See, I would maybe want to get it because I got a 4K TV, so. Ah, I think I do. I don't know. <laughs> I've never seen anything in my house that is 4K, so I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that the fact that they're doing it might actually be a good sign for this console generation because it might be saying that this console generation will be around even longer than the last generation. That's why they're putting out an update because um, they've got these kind of long-term plans. I think probably with it, it's just kind of like how they do everything. Like when they did the Xbox 360 Slim, which added like the wireless Wi-Fi or the PS3 Slim, which upgraded everything. I think that's just going to be what the 4.5 is. Mm -hmm. It's just going to be that, you know, slightly newer, slimmed down, a little bit better version than what we have now, which comes with every console age. And probably the majority of people or many people who buy it are going to be people who already own a PS4. So I don't know what that'll do to the, the, the regular market for the regular PS4, but yeah, probably I'm, pretty massive price drop. Well, it'll make it cheaper and more accessible to people like me. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. And then you can play your Bloodborne. Yeah, finally, goodness. <laughs> I really want to play that. That's, and Final that a, Fantasy XV. Is Bloodborne yeah. going to be your first game? Uh, or Near Automata, I don't know which one. Hmm. Whenever that comes out, if that even has a release date, which is 2016. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, to return to VR, uh, what can we say from a Christian perspective about this? Since this is the Theology Gaming Podcast, we do have to offer our own unique brand of... Christian things applied to video games and video game culture and such. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things I would say is that VR offers the, us the opportunity like no other to, to really live inside of a lie. And I, I try not to say that in like a, a preachy way, but it gives us the opportunity to really ignore reality and not search for truth. And so I would say that as a Christian, we need to be cautious about trying to escape from reality rather than trying to deal with and handle reality as a follower of Christ and, and looking to Jesus as the person ultimately that satisfies us and ultimately as the, the healer and the teacher in our lives who guides us through reality. Yeah, because if, if video games or virtual reality is just kind of a, an exacerbated form of that, become more real to you than anything else, then you've got a problem right there. <laughs> mm -hmm. But then again, this could also be applied to a lot of things like uh, any kind of hobby, any kind of activity that you engage in that you like, 
sinful or no, it can still become an idol unto itself if done totally. over the way. But virtual reality has that weird concept of where it actually takes you out of the real world. Yeah, it can get a little too over the top, perhaps. Maybe there is a case to be made that Christians shouldn't actually engage in virtual reality sort of things. At least in the extreme sense, right? With the headset and the not actually having to move for hours a day. <laughs> yeah, it just seems like there's that difference between playing a video game system on your TV for eight hours instead of like locking yourself in a virtual world for eight to ten hours like physically like surrounding your every sense yeah well we're, we're not there yet but this could be a future thing so yeah, it, it's, it's a not, step in that direction yeah it's not outside the realm of possibility that games are going to turn into this but i think in the long run it's going to be determined by what kind of games come out and whether or not people like them enough that it's worth buying a 500 hundred dollar headset to experience well, here's the weird thing. I've never messed with any VR, but so you put the headset on, you have all these things. Like what happens like if you're totally surrounded in that and, you know, this could happen years down the road where it might get a little bit deeper. But if you're surrounded in that virtual world, if something's going on behind you in your house, like how do you, you know, you have to take yourself out of that. Be like whether like your kids want something, your wife, you know, parents, you know, whatever it may be. Or if something's happening, like how engrossed can you be in something to where you just don't even know what's going on around you? Yeah, or, yeah. or you can rip the headset off. <laughs> yeah, I think I, th I think you're right though. I mean, now I mean, a lot of people I think play video games with headphones on, so obviously they can't hear people around them. So you got to kind of wave at them or do something if you want to get their attention. And I think you're right that VR presents the opportunity to just totally check out of reality, and and I think that can be a huge hindrance to relationships and um, can block our being able to love and, and care for the people around us. Because like, if I'm playing my PlayStation and I need to do something, it's, you know, it's really easy to pause and go do something, whether it be help my wife, you know, do something, you know, do something after the cats. But if you're sitting there, how jarring is it just to like rip a headset off and go from seeing one thing that's, you know, seeing something totally different? Yeah. Must be and I mean, for me, I, I remember how engrossed I would get as a kid playing like Pokemon Blue on a black and white Game Boy, right? And so I can't imagine how VR is going to affect people being totally absorbed by it, right? Is anyone going to be upset if they don't make a Tron game for VR? <laughs> I will. <laughs> yeah, that I would like be... A selling factor for me, for sure. Yeah, but you can buy the light cycle, so you really don't even yeah. need VR at this point. That's but true. PlayStation VR looks like something out of Tron already, so I think it would pair nicely. So in my Google search, it looks like the light cycle is already an Oculus Rift app. Oh, Wait, man. Well, clearly uh, everyone needs to buy one now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I have another weird thing. I hope this doesn't take it down a weird path if we're talking about VR and certain experiences about how it could also hinder some things because, you know, probably at some point they may make an adult themed or like porn related game and everything. And how is that going to hurt like relationships? Oh, those already exist. <laughs> yeah. That's... I mean, I think that's an obvious that was I think the first thing most people, well, that's what happens, right? The first industry that like pornography gets into, the first platform is usually the one that wins the technology war. <laughs> yeah, like with Blu-ray. And, and I, I think that, uh, of course, VR is going to try and leverage that. And 
Yeah, and I got to wonder too, though, that people who put the headset on for those kind of experiences are maybe going to find something that they didn't want to find in the fact that it's going to seem so real and so dehumanizing when you're actually there in person. I don't know, it might appeal to some. Some, they they might actually be, um, it might bring them to a point of actually like looking at what they're doing from the outside and, and being really shocked about it. I don't know. Yeah, it's going to be really, really creepy. I mean, I think even from like the dating sims perspective, uh, you think of a movie like Her or whatever. I mean, if people can go into virtual reality and have like a Cortana or something like that who they have this relationship with and if the AI is really there and all that kind of stuff to interact, yeah, will people look to it to replace regular human relationships? I totally think that they will. Do you guys watch anime at all? Really? Uh, I think I already uh, asked this. Occasionally? Did you guys I watch? Kiki's you didn't actually ask this, this podcast. Oh. Ah, did you guys? Uh, has anyone ever seen Chobits or Chobits? No. The anime. It kind of hints on stuff like that, where it's about these like helper robots and everything that can pretty much do anything, and they look pretty much lifelike. And then you know people start having relations with them, and that kind of start you know that can hinder things because they're you know dating and like having relations with AI you know that are made to like them and made to their specifications you know you're but you're not creating you know kids or anything like that and it's like it's almost like a fake relationship built off of just what you want yeah it's like a Stepford Wives kind of a thing well like I definitely think that that God didn't create us for a relationship where everything is about us and I think that's the danger with some of these kind of things I mean it's the initial danger in pornography as well is that you get this kind of access with absolutely no relationship and it's just totally self-serving. And I think, um, I don't know if there's going to be such an emptiness that comes with it that it might, you know, uh, provoke our culture to asking some serious questions or if people are really going to find some sort of comfort and solace in VR and in AI, even on an emotional level. It's, it's really hard to say. I think it, it will be toxic though when we go from those totally self-serving relationships where everything kind of revolves around us and is about us to trying to have real life relationships where you have to compromise and work through things and uh, where loving the other person is something that doesn't come easy every single day because they're not about you um, solely. So. Of course, maybe we're all being a little too negative about it. Maybe it'll just be some pretty awesome and rad video games. <laughs> See, and there's that possibility too. There, there always is. But you know, sometimes you have to look at the negative to see, okay, where can this go, and what should we be aware of or keep an eye out for? Yeah. Like with most things, there's good and bad, and it's really going to come down to the individual people who are playing it. Like, can I handle this? Probably yes. not. <laughs> For yeah. me, I know I can't even play horror games without a VR headset on, so I'm not going to play one with. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I have a pretty good idea <laughs> of what I can handle, right? And just VR does not interest me. A lot of these uh, issues we're talking about, how long do you think it happens with this VR cycle, or do you think it has to take VR a couple cycles before we start actually seeing these problems really start to persist? Or it'll I just mean, die off. 
I think that there'll definitely be a lot of pornography in this VR cycle and, you know, dating sims. I mean, I think that was already advertised, uh, some sort of dating sim for the PS4 where this girl's like playing guitar or whatever and you visit her and she lives at this beach house or something like that. But I, I do think that the next VR cycle will, will, will where you start to see the problems of, you know, kids are five or six years old getting into this kind of stuff distinguishing between what is real and what is VR and growing up on VR. And I think already with kids in our society and you're realizing like they might not be able to socialize. They're so internet capable, but in real life, a lot of the social skills and things aren't there. There's a lot of shyness and stuff like that. What will VR do to all that kind of stuff? I think think when VR becomes a regular part of life, it'll be another at least 10 years. And then we'll start to see some some interesting side effects that won't all be bad. I, I think, you know, kids could go to school in VR and all that kind of stuff. I mean, there could oh. be some exciting things, but I was just thinking the same thing. Like it could take online like college courses and everything and put people like in a classroom. You know, if That'd you could cool. like link up and you could like see things instead of like, you know, just talking through like chats and emails, if you could sit there and have the conversation and actually visualize like all the stuff that yeah, could be that helpful would be really really cool especially because like real life college probably mm-hmm. won't exist in about a decade or two decades depending on how much debt there is and all that sort of thing so i imagine that may very well be the future of college educations or uh, how about this this would be very far down the line but medical someone needs like a, a surgery done and you know you could get the best doctor who can plug into VR and control a machine from like thousands of miles away and help perform an operation using yeah. virtual reality, seeing something and being able to help. Yeah. Or I, I definitely don't think automatic because you got a robot doing it. It's going to be more precise than a human being if you can program it correctly. Yeah. You can actually do it from afar. No shaky human hands sort of thing. I always think that when I see space shooter movies like Star Wars, I'm like, why would you have a human pilot one of these ships and not just like a really advanced AI? I know that wouldn't make Star Wars a lot of fun if it was just robot ships shooting at each other and stuff. But <laughs> Everybody's I always just think sitting that. on the planet doing nothing while yeah. watching them going back and forth. Well, that's uh, one of the other things that I was talking about in the technology articles. Like if we start doing this and start getting robots to try to do everything, like think about what that's going to do for the workforce. Like, it could take a lot of people also out of work to where, you know, unless you have a degree or do something with these robots, you know, you might be out of a job. Yeah, it's it's we're in one of those transitional periods where uh, the workforce is being depleted because of technological advancement. And it's not necessarily their fault. It's just that the economy has been developing in a way that kind of makes jobs for human beings obsolete. Right. If you don't have a certain set of skills. It's unfortunate, but it's it's part of what is happening right now. <laughs> There's a yeah, lot of transitions going on. They're, they're apparently making a Carl's Jr. right now that's totally no humans will work there. I don't know if you guys have heard about this at all. Um, that sounds wow. insane. I think it's just a promotional stunt, but there's also these pizza delivering robots in New Zealand right now that they're testing out for, I think, Domino's. But I, I, I also think that as we find uh, technology that can do certain jobs, we tend to create other jobs that we might not have needed before. So I think about in America, you've got something like the NFL and how many people it employs. You know, 50 or 60 years ago, you might not have had such a large industry built around that, but we can now afford to spend more 
time and money on entertainment uh, because we don't have to worry about surviving as much. And so I think humans like to work and want to work, and so we'll find something to work at. Um, we might not like to overwork or work strenuously, but I really think that we are created to work and can, can find some enjoyment out of that. And yeah. so I think For we sure. will create jobs, whether... Um, I think it says that in the Bible, you know, when yeah. they're kicked out of Eden, like, you know, pretty much that we have to, you know, toil, you know, get from the soil. Like now we're like made to work. And, you know, even when God made us, what was the first, what he'd make us to do, you know, tend to the garden, name the animals and like, you know, rule over it. So we were made to work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and colleges now don't really teach people useful skills. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just putting that out yeah. there. Having been a person who's gotten a degree in theological studies and philosophy, right? There's technically no real track out that is a clear, defined path, except for more school. So, like, that's part of the problem with this whole advancement of technology, virtual reality thing, is that it seems like a better alternative than a life that kind of has no direction. <laughs> Mm -hmm. If you go and get some of these like fine arts degrees, you have basically a limited set of skills in the workforce, and this makes getting actual work in your field of study almost impossible. Mm. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to see what America is going to look like in 20 years. Yeah, it's going to be weird, <laughs> especially after eight years of Donald Trump, right? Yeah, yeah, man, build that wall. Be a lot of yeah. a lot of walls. Which wall? Which side of the wall are you going to live on? Because didn't Canada say that they were going to build a wall if Trump got elected well, president? That'd be great. Well, actually, there's a, huge, a <laughs> there's a huge. There's uh, a huge. There's a place called I think it's called Baffin Island. It's on the east coast of Canada. I've never been there before, but they have a huge ad campaign out right now, um, and it's kind of a joke. But they're also trying to promote themselves as a tourist destination for all the Americans that are upset with Trump and his success uh, potentially being elected president. They can come move to Nova Scotia because the eastern part of Canada is really dying economically. There's not a lot of people there and stuff. And so, uh, yeah, I don't know. If they build a Canadian wall, that is a big wall. It's the largest, I think, unprotected border in the world. And so <laughs> that'll create a lot of jobs. That's for sure. <laughs> wow. How did we but, end up here? We're, we're actually right back where we started, aren't we? Yeah. Back to the wall. It's like a Seinfeld episode. <laughs> <laughs> How'd they get uh, All right. Well, uh, um, do you have any final thoughts on the subject of virtual reality? Um, if they make Ocarina of Time in virtual reality, I'm I'm sold. I'll, I'll I'll be interested. But that's my final thought. It's like Skyrim Zelda. Yeah. Yeah. But Nintendo would push it back to a different system and make you buy it a couple times over to yeah. keep playing it. That's probably sure. yeah. Uh, I guess my advice would be watch Sword Art Online in the Matrix and be prepared. <laughs> be prepared. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I, I think this is a good time to wrap it up. Since we seem to be all right. wandering off <laughs> to various <laughs> other topics. Rabbit of, trail. Yeah. Well, that's the uh, Audi Gaming Podcast. All right. Uh, is there any <laughs> shameless self-promotion to be done? Uh, no do you want to? I, I, you guys can find me at. Uh, I'm on Twitter at John J three thousand, and uh, I'm also out there on YouTube. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't even know I'm going to give that right now. I'm working on my YouTube right now. I'm in a transition time. Uh, so, right. yeah. You have a YouTube account we can't visit and a Twitter account we can. <laughs> yes. So much different. Mode. And, uh, Brandon, where can we find you? Theology Gaming University. Yeah, because you're there a lot. Yes. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, man, I wish I had more to promote, but we don't have anything to promote. I guess that means I need to start something. Yeah. All right. Well, this has been the Theology Gaming Podcast. If you liked what you heard, and uh, sometimes you might or might not, we don't care either way. We just like talking to each other. <laughs> but uh, if you liked what you heard, give us a five-star rating on iTunes, subscribe, share with friends, etc., etc., etc. If you'd like to ask any of us questions... We have a group called Theology Gaming University, which is on Facebook, where we talk about video games, theology, and sometimes other things for some reason. And then sometimes somebody posts a meme, and then nobody responds to it. (laughs) (laughs) That seems to happen a lot. Hey, you should be happy. We haven't talked Bayonetta in a couple weeks. That's true. Please don't talk about Bayonetta anymore. I don't want to talk about it. (laughs) Talked about it enough. (laughs) We're done. All right. Well, uh... I think that about wraps it up. So uh, see you guys later. Thanks, Brandon. Thanks, John, for being on the podcast. Thank you, guys. Thank you. See you later. Bye. Bye.